Welcome to the J3 University Podcast. Each week, we bridge the gap between science and in-the-trench experience for physique enhancement. I'm your host, John Jewett. Let class begin. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the J3U Podcast. I'm your host, John Jewett. With me, co-host Luke Miller. And today, we are going to discuss health and bodybuilding. Or maybe that's an oxymoron. Is there health in bodybuilding? Um, and what to do with all the conversations around death that's been occurring. Um, can we change the sport and improve it, decrease risk? Or is it just doomed? And should we just ban the sport completely and never even touch touch it? So these are the conversations to have that, I, that Luke and I have both seen uh, spread throughout different podcasts and different media. So we wanted to discuss it for ourselves and talk around it and give you all some other thoughts on, on the, on the topic there. Yeah. And I think <clears throat> some context around like the sport in general is answering the question, like is, is bodybuilding healthy in any, any way. Right. And I think that there's aspects that are very beneficial. However, competing at any sort of a high level is going to occur risk, right? You're going to, you're going to accrue risk as you kind of, increase the level at which you compete. And if we go into this understanding, you know, there are probably genetic predispositions towards being able to be resilient against this. Then we can start to kind of understand if we have good coaching systems in order to better inform the consumer where people lie on that genetic consideration as far as like the resiliency from a health perspective that's going to start to mold and shape what I think would be a better way of bodybuilding without us overly having to change the sport. And, and we'll kind of get into like some of the proposed thoughts of, you know, things that have come up, some things that, you know, we think are, are pretty good and some that, you know, maybe we question, but I think at the root of it all, it, it comes back to coaching and us having the conversations that allow coaches to educate the clientele to the level that they are able to advocate for their own health. Because I think that's kind of where the core root issue is, um, especially with some of the stuff I woke up to like 14 messages this morning about a coach that was getting blasted on social media because a stag design he had written got public and it's just going really downhill because of how idiotic it was, right? It's like, these kinds of things are still happening in our industry just from a lack of education than anything else. Do you think I'll go back and talk about it. Do you think that should be exposed? Like I think people should like post stuff like that. And oh, that's a tough question. Yeah. Um, I think you should always have questions and have expect a response that's logical in explanation. And I think if someone can give that to you, that's probably a warning sign. Um, now, should we be calling out people and possibly ruining their careers? you are dealing with people's health at the end of the day, right? I mean, you could be ultimately killing people. Um, I do think awareness is good, but maybe done in a more coaches to coaches atmosphere where we can educate each other rather than calling someone out for a mistake that was made. But I do see like the gravity of writing something along those lines that is someone's health where it should be kind of, not condoned to an extent. Yeah, I mean, with what coaches are doing, you know, we're our 
giving out drug protocols, which is yeah. way beyond the scope of really anyone that's even coaching. Even if you're a doctor, they're not giving out super physiological drug protocols. So yeah, it's, it's just way beyond what anyone that should even have the authority to do so at that point. Um, but if say you were a doctor, it's probably the closest person that could give out something like that. Um, even then, if you were going, what would be unethical, it's brought up, right? And you could lose your license to some capacity. Um, if you had a doctor that was prescribing something that would be inappropriate, yeah, would you want that broad? Like, oh yeah, you this doctor's probably yeah, going to get torn apart, right? Um, now it's so different because the people going in to bodybuilding are accepting risk if unless they're completely naive and i don't think that's the case we know this is yeah not the no, case no. so there's a certain amount of risk that you're taking but like where it's a very gray area because it's like oh well, that's too much risk or that's now too much so what what says that and then if you have a coach that's like oh no this coach is more conservative what someone else that opinion of conservative might be extremely high risk right and that might be ludicrous for them to do so yeah. i think there are probably things that would just be completely irrational logical and maybe you could bring that to light and educate on hey if this is what it looks like this is maybe extremely high risk without extra benefit um yeah. and without like putting someone's like name on it name right? on it yeah now if you post someone up it might be oh yeah that's very trademark of x yeah. coach right and yeah. that might come to light anyway but again that coach has to be educated somehow like i think a lot of these guys have been in it so long that's the way they do it and a lot of these gurus that you see like they're not reaching out for like how can i make my cycle design better um they just have been stuck in that for so long so unless they've been see it in their face like hey hey yeah that's my my cycle i put out why are people yeah. talking shit about it it's like something needs to kind of click of like hey there's you, you need to do something about this um i don't know if that would sway someone or not but you, i think you're right there's a way to there's a way to go about it um, yeah and but with the realization that it is a gray area that we work in so yeah. to say like that's right and that's you know wrong i don't know that's a tough one it is i think I think, again, where my head starts to go is like some form of like formal education for this, like almost to the point of licensure, right? Because, you know, I took, when I was in grad school, there were some pharmacology courses that I took at UF before I transferred to USF, because it's the, the program I was in was kind of closely integrated with the medical school. So you could cross take classes with the medical school. Um, and from a perspective of learning, like, human physiology and compound deployment and drug interactions and stuff like that. Just that exposure, you know, was extremely insightful that could cross over and carry over into the stuff that we talk about today within like the models that we're running, right? Whether it's, you know, no, no matter the level of the client, the, the kind of polypharm models that we talk about. So um, I, I do think that we should start moving towards some sort of standard. But then I think there's there's also asking the question of like, 
should the sport change at all to expect that standard? Like, is there some sort of regulation? And if there is, where does it come from? Yeah, I guess I wanted to go back to one thing you said before we yeah, go ahead. touched on that was just um, bodybuilding being healthy, you know, in oh, general. Yeah. And yeah, let's touch on that. Um, with natural competitors, it's I think that removes the drug factor, obviously. Mm-hmm. For some, yeah. you know, some are doing it anyway, but you know, is is natural bodybuilding healthy? And I think even within that, it's still an extreme sport. But the, the risk is absolutely far less, absolutely. Uh, but regardless, um, going into these extremes of even weight training as much as we do, like it, it's an extreme. So you see, yeah. like weight training would have Im- improvements for for bone density and and you know, joint health, but going to an extreme side of it. It's actually caused the opposite. Like it, it's more deleterious to joint health, um, higher higher risk for for injuries around that, and even doing natural bodybuilding and going into a constant state of this um, energy deficiency and low body fats. Like some gums guys have permanent hormone derangement just from that alone. We see it even in, in bikini athletes. I know that the bikini just to differentiate males and females, but regardless, we see hormone disruption that can occur even yeah. within those. So there's, there's risk there. Um, so is it healthy? I think once you reach into these extremes of like getting on stage, it becomes a little bit less healthy, but it's absolutely compounded with PD usage, um, to, to an, I think an exponential level. And that level is going to vary of course, off of your genetic response and the amount you decide to be deploying within that. Um, but I think that's the thing is like, is this even a healthy pursuit at all? I think the lifestyle can be, Yeah. but once you get into trying to achieve a high level of, of competition, that starts to be very, very limited. And even, I, I, I couldn't even say it's healthy um, and, and a pursuit of an enhanced way to compete now. But the question that then becomes is like, is there a level of that in each sport? No. Right? Like, because, like, you have football that's got massive amounts of injuries. CTE is an issue, things like that. Female soccer is, like, the number one rate of concussion across all sports, right? Like, these are the kinds of things where if we look at high-level athletics, it's probably not the healthiest thing across, you know, all variations of sport. It just so happens that we may need, may be a little bit more on the extreme side of it not being healthy, right? Because of the compounding factors of having to get down to so low body fat levels. We're taking training to, ex- to an extreme, which is kind of common across sports yeah. and us, but then also the drug use, right? And it's like the, people are going to comment like drug use is in all sports and it's like, sure. yeah, but probably not to the level that bodybuilders are doing it. And it's, this is where it starts to become a conversation of, again, bringing it back to what are we doing as far as like a regulation standpoint. And look, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and be oblivious to the fact that there's probably no standard of regulation that's going to happen in the next 10 years, right? That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that we should hold ourselves to a higher standard in order to kind of move the sport forward in the limiting the amount of exposures to to incidents of death due to the fact that we understand the risk that's associated with competitive bodybuilding 
but go at it in a better manner. You know, there's uh, another, I saw someone else speaking on this and um, there's, what about the risk of someone not bodybuilding? And in the, in the thought process of that bodybuilding has, has been saved them from some other vice. So they, I've heard like people were suffering with depression or other drug use and to say like, well, they're just replacing a drug for a drug. Some maybe, maybe so, but also just moving into a lifestyle has advanced people in like a a different capacity to self-development that's really led them to success. And maybe that alternative, maybe the alternative was, was higher risk in, in a certain capacity. Right. And accepting the risk was worth it in other areas. Um, so I've seen that conversation happen, but <laughs> you're very like, like you could say like, oh, there, maybe there's, if it's like, like an addiction thing, that's yeah. replacing one for the other, like exercise and then exercise to the extreme and, and very well so. Um, but I, I think there is positive attributes to bodybuilding. Of course, those could be gained <laughs> without use of drugs. <laughs> so, but um, what, what you had said with, as far as like, should there be regulations in place? Should we, yeah. um, I mean, where you consider like having actual, I was people said drug testing, like we should drug test or when we make it mm-hmm. drug free. But of course, you know, um, we already have those in place and people still try to use drugs, but it absolutely would be limited in that capacity. Yeah. Um, but it's tough because we know what people want. People want to see, we can talk about health, but like people still want to see like the extreme of whatever sport it is. And you yeah. want to see the biggest, freakiest bodybuilders. I mean, to go nothing against natural bodybuilding, but in comparison, it's just entertaining to see something crazy. Right. Yeah. I think, I don't think like drug testing to eliminate all, versions of like PED usage in the sport is the answer here, right? I think that ruins the sport as it is. Um, I've heard some suggestions of like limiting oral usage or possibly removing the the oral usage, but then you start to ask the question like, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you test for that, right? Um, And so it's, again, People are going to use drugs if they can get away with the use of the drugs, if there is regulations in place. Like, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe there was a year or two where they tried to eliminate diuretic usage within competitive bodybuilding. I don't know exactly, because I remember someone tested positive for like a diuretic. I'm like, why were they testing for this? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And yeah, I mean, I, I, Maybe if you, I guess you could make an argument for something like that. I mean, because that is pretty high risk diuretics, probably yeah. the more risky thing, at least in the short term. Yeah. Um, but but again, it goes back to like if you're going to test for one thing, like how do you make the discrepancy between one drug being more risk and the other one not being? Uh, yes, acutely, yeah. but chronically, these things could be be problematic. So. Um, yeah, I don't know about the testing aspect and I don't either. Uh, and of course, I've seen other conversations around uh, body weight caps. I mean, we have body weight caps on classic physique. So with that, I, 
I've seen classic physique cycles that look no different from open bodybuilding cycles. Um, and then that also doesn't remove like, what is that person's genetic resilience to those drugs? So that person may need that high drug load to keep that look that they have. Mm. Um, and that might be no, no lesser risk than someone that's an open bodybuilder that genetically can just carry that amount of muscle mass. But I understand the idea, like usually larger things don't live as long and higher body weights are more stress for all organ systems. And you're absolutely pushing yourself (laughs) to an extreme. Um, but those are the individuals that are, have the capacity to do so, right. They're just, they would never be, um, down to like a classic physique body weight, you know, but they're just saying, Hey, what if you pull 20 pounds off these guys? Like it's still probably extremely freaky, but I feel like that is open. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think there's a couple issues with that, in my opinion. I think it does like directly not solve, but kind of limit the extreme body weights that we can see cause issues over time. Um, I think to your point, people are going to use drugs and higher levels of drugs anyways. You're also going to get to this point where people are, because nowadays we have people who choose to stay in classic, right? Like they yeah. maybe have the genetic capacity to make it into open, but they're competitive in classic and they're able to stay there and make their money and do what they want, but not have to take it to the levels of open or, or even 212 for some of these guys that are barely making 212, right? It's 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 a it's like kind of like a stepping stone where you bring the weight caps down and kind of I've heard even like merging of some of the classes and we do it like 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 classic does with height and weights across all heights. It's like the level of competitiveness drastically increases to the point that people are probably more desperate to use compounds and make a name for themselves. So then it becomes this like balance of people accumulating tissue to a high level still doing drastic things to make weight. And then we're seeing acute issues with that anyways, over the uh, acutely, but also like doing that multiple times is going to have a long-term detriment. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, just goes to the point, like, is it, is it just open bodybuilding then, or is it all divisions have, some level of risk there and then how do you how do you separate those and it makes it really hard to do that Um, yeah so as far as yeah with the weight caps yeah you're right you'll see guys that are still going to be maybe even taking more risks to make those weight caps with cutting body weight which is probably the acutely the biggest risk factor in bodybuilding using diuretics to make weight it's like well then you put in testing for those diuretics it's like, it, I still might try to get, get around that too. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, something else to bring up is because we had had a discussion around, you know, calcium scores and testing and frequency of testing a couple of days ago, or maybe a couple of weeks ago. Now my, my days are all blurring together. Um, but the standards at which we hold ourselves to testing, because like we, we know that like, pulling lab work is one thing, but doesn't tell the whole story. Right. And then there's other forms of testing that we need to go down. We've done a whole podcast on the different forms of testing that we can do. It's like, is there league requirements to submit that on a yearly basis or a semi-frequent basis, or is there 
still that expectation that the coach is communicating to the to the client that they need to be doing this stuff. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, I think you, I, I mean, that, that would really show like the organization putting a lot of care towards people that are doing this. And yeah. it's not really a, a cost on their end, it's the cost of the individual. So mm. if, if that is just, I'd say, hey, we'll do this at the pro level, you have to submit maybe it's just a, what would that be? Like a, a physical form f- filled out by your physician, right? Of course, those could be maybe forged, bullshitted. Um, yeah. Or is it submitting like some type of echocardiogram along with that physician sign off? And then, but then how do you say like, oh, well, this person has some mild left ventricular hypertrophy. That's okay. Yeah, it's like you know, perfect <laughs> yeah. hard to be doing this. You know, where do you draw that line but that again that's up to the physician i'm sure you're going to find physicians like hey this guy will uh, sign off on your your echo and say you're good to good to go however i think at least if you're an athlete and you saw something that really popped up that was problematic you're at least aware yeah um, and within within a physician like you think like hey if something was really an issue like they're going to give a, a true you know uh, accurate like truthful statement to the uh, ifbb or to the athlete because it yeah at that point it'd be your license at, at risk you know if you say hey this right. guy's good to go and you see their echo and stuff you're like how did doc- every doctor ever sign off on this so but anyway going back to the to, to the point could that be a thing yeah actually that's probably pretty reasonable i mean we're our, our, one of our biggest risks is probably long-term cardiovascular disease so i mean that's that's a that's an idea um where my head goes is standards for like, not just the sign off, like ejection fraction percentage standards, calcium score number standards, like some sort of expectation that you're over a certain percentage relative to what's normal and we're able to, or number or whatever the test may be that we're considering and adding in. And this is the standard at which we hold athletes where if we are seeing that decline over the years, it's kind of caught once we kind of hit that buffer. Right. And maybe because in my opinion, there needs to be something more than just a sign off, right? Like a a physical sign off. And I think actual formal testing, and we had talked about like, is calcium score testing even needed on a yearly basis? And, you know, we, we talked about possibly being that two to five year mark. Um, being kind of a thing so it would be like uh every other year calcium score expectation to be under a certain number with a yearly echocardiogram with an expectation of a certain ejection fraction percentage and then we go from there um and and that kind of be the standard at which we hold people um it obviously does kind of miss out on uh some of the lab work side i think possibly having some sort of standard for EGFR slash cystatin C is probably a good standard. Yeah, I mean, just uh, even uh, like what's cheap, a urinalysis, see how like if there's protein yeah. showing up in the urine, like that way, the way of like the cost for these athletes and also athletes that are in maybe other countries that don't have as much access to That's healthcare. True. Like you have, I guess, make considerations there. I'm not familiar with every country that all competitors, like do they have access, being able access. To, to get those things? Like for us in the US, like it's much easier to get it Hey, private pay, and you can get this done. But in, in some of the other, you, 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 that's not even a possibility. And the wait right. list time is like 
for some like socialized medicine is pretty extensive. I don't know how that's like, I was thinking about Canada and like clients have to wait for a lot of stuff to get done for testing, but yeah, I don't know how that changes. If you're like, Hey, I'll private pay. And maybe that, maybe that does, but regardless um, that might change some poor competitors. Of course that just takes, you know, proper planning on your end, but uh, and maybe so maybe there's a balance there of like how much you would be testing mm. um, and at least to have some baseline coming in and then you can make decisions off that from when you would be testing next like, um, yeah you could even like ifub is a pretty well-rounded international organization with promoters in most countries you could have like a medical individual that maybe not staff but they're like the official ifbb medical practitioner of that area or of that, you know, you have a couple in each country or whatever it may be in that way, <clears throat> you start to have some sort of network that's built with people who are, again, starting to work with these kind of people, right? Because what do you yeah. run into sometimes is like, medical practitioners won't even touch us because they just don't want to work with the extreme case of human physiology, right? And it's like, it's not, a risk. Yeah, it's a risk, right? Because they know we're risk takers. It's like you get people on board that are willing to kind of do the testing and the standards that would be reporting back to the IFPB, some sort of not medical board, but like staff that's like considered IFPB sanctioned medical practitioners. It's like that's some sort of way to say, hey, like, you know, you live in X country. We have practitioner X, Y and Z, you know you know, according to where your area is, you're probably closest to practitioner Y. So let's just get this done by X date. And then you, you kind of make sure that you plan accordingly and get that done. Yeah, no, I think that would be a way to go to where they can adjust mm. for the area too. Right. Um, mm -hmm. no, I think, I think that's pretty reasonable. Yeah. Where, I mean, it's, um, from a, from a cost wise, you have to weigh it out, but I mean, you're, you're going to have to have some like, yeah, that's, that's for the IFBB to make consider, or, Hey, you know, bump up some of the, um, your, your pro card fees, <laughs> right? Like it, it sucks. I know like for you have your, your pro card and, but again, still like for what you paid as an amateur, just to compete, like as pros, you like, you don't even have entry fees anymore. It's only your yearly pro card. So, uh, yeah, you bump that up a little bit just because of everything that we're trying to do. I think people, some people might be upset, but again, I think in the big picture, it's uh, from a good place to keep yeah. people a little, a little bit safer. Um, and I think that doesn't change the sport either, right? Like, I think a lot of us get into this because of the extreme nature of it. Absolutely. I guess that <laughs> I was... Uh, I watched another video. I think it was, uh, yeah, it was Seth Perros. I don't know if you saw that yeah. one. Yeah, he was. I didn't uh, watch it, but I've heard about it. Yeah, yeah that one's um, been, of course, Seth. Seth's very popular, and yeah, he's like, you know, we're 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 crazy motherfuckers, you know, <laughs> and this is a uh, extreme, <laughs> and that's why we like it. And yeah. Uh, yeah, very well. So I think that's why we like many extreme sports because we want to do the extreme levels, see how far the human body can go. Um, yeah. Now Seth was very blatant, just saying, "Hey, this will kill you." Like this is you, you take drugs basically, and and that was kind of like the overall message. There is very like black white. Like 
this is going to kill you. Um, and I know other people say, well, there's not, you know, any studies showing cause and effect. And I think that's the complete naive, <laughs> you know, I thought, thought behind it. Um, cause we see yeah. like complications occur and we, we, do, we don't really have good epidemiological data on yeah. like a group of bodybuilders and the long-term effects. And with that is, uh, body, like bodybuilding is, I think it has escalated over the years for mm. drug use. So even if you were following some bodybuilders from the eighties, nineties into like their older age, that's still not depictive of what's going on like currently within bodybuilding. Um, yeah. we, we do have like some, some rodent data on like long-term effects and people would critique the shit out of that. I'm sure. But I've, I was just looking at a, some mouse study where they ex exposed them uh, one fifth of their lifespan to anabolics yeah. to, to kind of like model out this, yeah. like, which is kind of like what you'd see in a, Fairly a steroid user. And they had like one group doing 20 times normal level of, you know, hormones the yeah, other yeah. one like was five times and they had just a, a control group and the group doing like 20 times uh like 50 percent had like shorter lifespans 35 percent had shorter um, lifespans in the lower dose group and the other the other group was like 12 percent. so um it just so happened in, in that group for the control and they're taking like four different steroids <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and it's like uh, two of them were out 17 alpha alkylated so it wasn't like this was like constant usage for these mice. Sorry, this getting off in this, this study, but, um, but regardless, it's, it's showing you like, Hey, um, there is an increased risk to shorter lifespan with using like super physiological amounts and the dose and time of exposure is going to matter. Yeah. And that's so that's a consideration for what we should be thinking about in bodybuilding is that you have this, this time period, to make the most of it and to not extend it longer than it needs to be. And also a rationale behind dosing and to not start at the ceiling and end at the ceiling and that we should maybe transition upwards towards that. And that's kind of what we've been preaching here anyway, but going back to the point of what Seth was you know, talking about, take steroids, you die. Um, that's, it is like a little bit fear-mongering but mm -hmm. I understand it. You know, it's kind of like smoke cigarettes and die. It's like, yeah. Okay. I mean, we, now we have like good cause and effect showing for that, but um, yeah. it's, I, I understand that message. Yeah. It's, uh, but it's a little, man, I don't know. I struggle with that one a bit. Uh, maybe yeah. I'm biased within just being in bodybuilding too. Yeah. I mean, obviously we're going to have our biases. I think something that's not discussed because it's faux pas and whatever i'm gonna bring it up anyways um is the amount of people that do or the amount of people that have recreational drug use alongside ped usage yeah um i think it's a lot more purveyant than people make publicly known whether that be you know weed use or even more hardcore compounds like or compounds hardcore drugs um to the point that you're pouring gasoline on a fire at this point in my opinion and you know you can go down the discussion of how many influencing factors over the last x amount of years have become gasoline to the fire at this point but it's like if you 
aren't taking risk mitigation factors in other areas of your life and basically running risk with every aspect of your life that you're doing, it's like, yeah, the incidence of, of bad issues is going to be a lot higher. Um, and, and that can be like something as simple as how frequent are you drinking, right? Like you may not see it as the worst thing in the world. Is it the worst thing in the world? No. Is it something that can have deleterious effects and then we're doing it alongside this PED usage? Yeah, we are, right? It's so, um, you know, that's not me trying to sound like a curmudgeon. It's just me trying to bring awareness to the fact that, you know, it might not be the smartest thing to have recreational drug use alongside of, of any sort alongside PED usage. I think it has changed some since like uh, I was here about stories about like 90s and 80s bodybuilding parties where it was like, oh, yeah. well, cocaine was like super popular in that area. So you'd have like guys using lots of cocaine and then you're also using fat burners. Um, and so that was really hard on, on, on the heart. Of course, is that like everyone doing it? I, I don't, I don't know how widespread that was, but again, I think what's still more popular and getting more popular now is uh, just, just THC, uh, you know, marijuana is now becoming le is, is legalized in, in several areas of the, of the country. So um, it's definitely more accepted, but that doesn't make it safe either. Um, I just wrote an article about, you know, using yeah. THC and in combination or separately from Nangelone and individually, they're both neurotoxic together. It's substantially more neurotoxic um and so you have to really hold yourself to a higher standard if you are going to pursue risk with using pds uh, that other drug use like polypharmacy is just far more complicating and you can't even look at data on well what about you know thc it, maybe it has these health benefits but what about thc in combination with five other drugs you're using it's like that completely changes um, the risk profile and, and those interactions that yeah. we can't say with certainty, but even then the data we have, like this looks um, problematic. So yeah, I think that's the thing is like, if you're going to do this, every other area of your life, make it as health promoting as possible to reduce the risk. Yeah. And I think that's, that's something that we can hold ourselves to as like, everyone that's a client or a competitor, whether they're coaching or not, you know, that's an easy one to adhere to, right? Like I get questions about like why I don't drink or why I haven't drank or whatever all the time. And it's like, I knew from a pretty young age that I wanted to do something, uh, you know, to a very high level. And I just felt like it was a distraction. And then once bodybuilding became that thing I wanted to do to a high level, it was like, well, I'm probably going to go down this road of risks at some point in the future. So this part can't be a part of my life. And so it's a pretty easy thing to, to, to nix once you learn how to operate or function without it. Now, obviously like addiction patterns are, are a completely different type of a conversation from a psychological profile and getting professional help type of a conversation. But, you know, it, it's not that it needs to be required, but it, should be well spoken that you know we probably should be mitigating the risks with the outside factors that we're we're using should we uh get rid of all master's level competitors oh that's a good question yeah i i put some thought into that one because 
with with increasing age and use of PDs. And I, I had like, there's exact data comparing use of, of, of these items. And older individuals have a more robust response. So they have a slower drug metabolism. So your younger counterpart, your serum levels won't run as high, but since you metabolize drugs slower as you age, your serum levels get even higher off the same dosages as you're using as younger, which is more problematic for all side effects. Um, also, just you have a decline in, in, in health function as you age, like kidneys are starting to function slower. So it's just a compounding issue at old age. And I've had individuals that are, they just start bodybuilding late in life and like, hey, I've, ne I've never used these drugs before. Um, I don't have this already long exposure time. So my risk wouldn't be as high, but what about that other person that's been chasing this now for 30 plus years? That's yeah. probably extremely high risk. Um, so should there be a cutoff for an enhanced bodybuilding for, for age? And uh, oh, that's a tough one. Cause it, like, is, it is, there's two sides to that coin, right? Or there's, well, there's three sides to that dice. So um, monetary perspective. So like obviously for shows, it's going to generate less, less money, um, not having masters competitions. Then you got to have to go down the route of like, if we're doing that, are we just completely getting rid of masters pro shows? Um, because that's a, that's a whole thing in itself. And it's, um, you know, people still competing at the pro level, but doing it within an age category that they feel they can be competitive, um, which again is generating revenue, right? Because you have shows that are almost uh, completely masters competitions. Um, and then uh, you have like the considerations for duration of use, like to your point, like the person who starts competing at 42, it's like, is it fair to say at 45, they have to hang it up if they've just started, you know, three years ago um, is probably not overly fair. And then on the back end, it's like the person who started at 18, who's 42 doing it now, it's like, that's a lot different duration of exposure. So should master's competitor competitions be mixed? I, uh, I struggle to say that, man, because that's like a free will decision, in my opinion, almost. I think that is it. Like if, you know, you want to compete and you love competing, you should have an avenue to do so. You know, I think that's as, as simple as that. Like this is your choice. You just have to understand that the risk is there more. So I have the, <laughs> I have my dogs in the office with me and my, this like, like Christian showed up. Hey, hey. So anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, I think you should still have that avenue to be able to compete. I think that is probably the biggest thing that you can really implement. And that is, you know, widespread of, of throughout influencers, coaches, putting out the message of like, these are the risks and to educate on these things. And so I think it just kind of goes back to what we're trying to do, right? Like with, with J3U and what, what a lot of people are trying to do is just, uh, put together ways to decrease the risk and be aware of them as we're pursuing these things. Um, and there's a way even with 
PED design that we're trying to look at and just have it not be irrational in what we're doing, have some type of logical thought process behind the deployment of each of, of these compounds that we do utilize and put it put in place that, you know, as you're progressing, that's maybe escalating just on a needs basis, but um, it's just uh, becomes just very illogical to just throw the kitchen sink at individuals off the front end. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what should be in place. So um, how should we enforce that? Well, that's tough. You're not going to be able to really enforce education, but awareness and having areas and routes for these education places to take place. Like it could be on the IPB website, you have uh, information put out on this, or like even brought up um, earlier, having, you know, just seminars at certain shows uh, to inform yeah. athletes of, of, of practices that could be in place to help risk reduction. Yeah. Yeah. I think that at the end of the day, like the more, the more this sport grows, the more you'll see the conversations being had because you'll have people who are so deeply into the coaching side that it's like their pursuit of their passion and that's what they want to do. And then these conversations will start being had. And it's not to say like, if you're competing at the highest level, a slightly higher risk model won't be used because it, it probably will, yeah. especially in those open classes, just maybe educating on those risks and then trying to find a common ground from coach to competitor of where someone falls in their risk aversion and then <clears throat> staying according or writing plans according to that risk aversion and then seeing how high you can take this from a competitive standpoint. And bringing it back to the root of like being the best version of ourselves within this is kind of the whole reason we get into this anyways. And, and, and pursuing that best version within the confines of risk you're willing to take. Yeah, no, well, well said. We'll, uh, we'll end it there guys. Um, yep. Thank you everybody for tuning in and we will talk to you next time.